Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talking Hockey Sense, I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 47 of the podcast, and it is the NHL Draft Lottery Special. The Draft Lottery was held last night, and the Montreal Canadiens are going to pick first overall in the draft that they are hosting a year after they went to the Stanley Cup Final. Not exactly the turn of events that I think most expected, but if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan... With a new general manager, a new coach, a new lease on life. <laughs> this is a good thing. Um, and now you have an opportunity to pick first overall. It's not the year like that you're going to get a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews, but you're still going to get a very good player in this 2022 NHL draft class. But before we get to that, let's go over the results of the draft lottery. The Canadians stayed. With the worst record in the NHL, they stay with the number one pick. They happen to be hosting this year. They had the best odds. Um, my colleague at Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravalli, put together a really good piece to, to showcase why, you know, even though it's said that the Canadians had an 18.5% chance to get the top pick, it was actually closer to 25% um, because of the fact that only so many teams can actually win the first overall pick within the new draft lottery rules. So it wasn't a huge surprise to see the Habs there. It was also not a huge surprise to see the New Jersey Devils move up in a draft. Once again, they will pick number two. It is the third time in six years that they will draft within the top two. And they also drafted fourth overall last year, seventh overall the year before that. So the Montreal or sort of the New Jersey Devils now are building this prospect war chest that includes, you know, Jack and Luke Hughes. It's going to include whoever they pick with this number two selection. I think that it's actually beneficial for the Devils to land in that number two spot. It takes a little bit of the pressure off uh, because I don't necessarily think that a guy like Shane Wright 
is a fit there with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer already in the mix and, and Dawson Mercer and all these other guys that you can, you know, kind of find that, that could be down the middle for a long time. You know, there's a good chance to get another scoring winger like Uri Slavkovsky or, you know, maybe you move a Logan Cooley to the wing if, if you want the more dynamic element or maybe you try to find that right shot defenseman um, in, in Nemec or, or Juracek. There's a lot of options available to the New Jersey Devils. The Arizona Coyotes were the misfortunate uh, drop back, but I really think they're in a terrific position to pick a, a player that's going to make a significant impact on their prospect pool. They have the number three overall pick. The Seattle Kraken, after a, a pretty disappointing first season, will pick fourth overall. I think that's probably a good range for them to land one of the top two defensemen if they want to get a guy that could potentially be a cornerstone defenseman for their franchise after drafting a, a, a foundational center in Matty Beneers last year. Um, this is a good opportunity to do that for the Seattle Kraken. The Philadelphia Flyers will pick fifth. The Columbus Blue Jackets via the Chicago Blackhawks will pick sixth. The number seven pick belongs to the Ottawa Senators, eight to the Detroit Red Wings, nine to the Buffalo Sabres, 10, the Anaheim Ducks, 11, the San Jose Sharks, 12, the Columbus Blue Jackets with their own pick. They'll pick twice in the top 12. Very good position for Columbus. 13th overall will belong to the New York Islanders, 14th to the Winnipeg Jets, 15th to the Vancouver Canucks, and 16th to the Buffalo Sabres via the Vegas Golden Knights and the Jack Eichel trade. So that is your draft lottery results. The rest will be determined uh, at the end of the playoffs. We'll find the find out the order of which of how these teams all line up after that. Um, if you want to get some of my early takes on how the top 16 could go. I do have a mock draft available at dailyfaceoff.com. You can read that. A lot of content there um, in terms of the draft lottery and, and various things. I'll have much more draft content at Daily Faceoff. I also have a piece on why this year teams weren't necessarily um, you know, begging for this first pick in this year's draft that they felt that if they didn't get it, they would be okay with picking second, third, or fourth, um, you know, among the teams that, that were kind of down the down the list. And so I wrote about that on Hockey Sense. That that portion of the newsletter is actually free, but if you want the entire newsletter, you will have to subscribe. But you can read about the draft lottery um, that I wrote before, just about how teams necessarily weren't necessarily fighting over, you know, getting this first overall pick. But if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, you have to be excited about the possibilities that exist for you there. Um, you know, Shane Wright is certainly the guy that has the most first overall momentum. But this is a year where it it's not consensus as much as it has been in years past. If you know Bob McKenzie from from TSN did did a flash poll of scouts and it follows very similarly to the things that I was hearing while I was in Germany at the World Under 18s, and that is. It's not the, you know, this is a, a good year. You know, there's enough guys there. If you don't get Shane Wright, you're probably going to get somebody that you feel real strongly will be as good, potentially better um, in those next few picks. And then after that, it does drop off more precipitously. And I think there's a lot of players in this class where we're saying, you know, no prospect is perfect, but we're seeing a lot of players that, that are kind of, you know, flawed at this point um, in their young careers. And that is you know, the way it goes. I mean, that's all about development. It's going to be on these teams to develop those players and make them better um, over the course of the the next year. So 
um, or the next several years because it's going to be a bit of a process here. But but Shane Wright, more than likely, I would think it makes a lot of sense for the for the Canadians to pick him um, number one overall. He is the guy that I have in my mock draft going to the Montreal Canadiens. So um, it is an opportunity for them to bolster their center depth to get a guy that can play, um, you know, at least for the time being behind. Nick Suzuki, but maybe one day Shane Wright can rise to the level of being a number one center in the NHL. Um, I think that's the thing that you're finding right now is how many guys out there in this draft are number ones, are guys that will be your top center, will be a your your top line scoring winger, will be your number one defenseman. Um, it's less clear this year, I think, than in years past that there's a, there's players with those capabilities, and I think that's why you know we've seen teams that said, hey, you know what, we can live. With, with not having that first overall pick. I think if you're in New Jersey, you love the fact that you're in second because now you have the, the option of the wings. You have the option of you know of taking like a Uri Slavkovsky or a Simon Nemich or David Juracek or you know Logan Cooley, as I mentioned. Um, maybe Shane Wright does slip down there. At that point, I wonder if New Jersey, you know, would they pass on him if he was still there? Um, I think it's unlikely that he would be, but you never know. Um, and so that creates an interesting dynamic in the first overall pick. As I mentioned, you know, would I take Shane Wright over Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes? Not necessarily either, to be completely honest. Um, not necessarily either. Definitely not Jack Hughes, who is the much more dynamic and I think higher upside player overall. So you'll see it on my mock draft on Daily Faceoff. So please read that as well. But also, you know, just to let you know, I, I think that that's a position that Uri Slavkovsky would make a lot of sense in. Um, they've got, you know, some real good forwards up front. They've got elite defense prospects with Luke Hughes being a, you know, potential guy that I could see as a top pairing guy down the, down the road. You know, why not take the swing on the big six foot four winger that can score goals and was the MVP of the Olympics and, you know, gave a real honest go at, uh, at, at the, uh, at the Olympic winter games there. And then also, you know, the, the thing about Slavkovsky that we'll talk about over the course of this time is we had that amazing flashpoint at the Olympics and there's no denying that he was exceptional there, that he was more than just a goal scorer. He was a play driving forward against professionals. He's going to play at the world championship this year. Um, and and the men's world championship begins this week, actually. And I will have a little bit more on that after we talk about the draft. So stay tuned for some very quick world world championship talk. But if you are a fan of the NHL draft, you've got Nemich, you've got David Juracek for Czechia, you've got uh, uh, Slavkovsky, who I mentioned, Adam Sikora, the youngest player in the tournament, 17 years old, made Slovakia's men's senior team. Um, he is also draft eligible this year. Not a guy that I would expect to go in the top two rounds, but you know, very interesting that he made that team. Marco Casper will be playing for Austria, so there are you know there are some legitimate first round talents that'll be playing in the men's world championship this year. And now that tournament includes more NHL players. There's a lot more talent there. I think it'll actually be a tougher tournament to win than it, than the Olympics was. Um, and that makes you know what if. Slavkovsky has a similar world championship. Now we're, we're talking hypotheticals, but if he does, 
does that all of a sudden put him in the conversation for number one overall? And I think it could, just because of how this season has gone. I think the biggest concern with Shane Wright has nothing to do with his ability. Everybody believes that he has high-end hockey sense, that he's got tremendous um, you know, physical tools and skills and plays a good two-way game. Um, the comparisons to Patrice Bergeron are, are kind of crazy to me. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's whenever you talk about a two way forward, it seems like it's him. You know, I think, you know, best case for right, you know, maybe he's more, I, I, I view him more like a Jonathan Taves type, um, you know, where it's not at that same superior defensive level, although Taves is a Selkie winner and was at one point one of the best defensive forwards in the league. So, you know, maybe even that's, you know, I, I do think Wright is, is good in that, but but Slavkovsky has this this unknown, this ceiling. And this year in Liga, when he played in, you know, playing in Finland, didn't have tremendous production. You know, you look at his production relative to guys like that, that go super high in the draft, like Kapokako, like uh, Alexander Barkov, guys that have been top three picks top two picks in this draft and it's not at all comparable um it's it's not close and so that is you know that is a bit of a concern when you look at the overall body of work but when we continue to see these instances where Slavkovsky is able to impose his physical will you know in in and be strong on pucks and make plays at a high high level then you gotta you gotta have a lot of respect for that. And I should also note, so his production ten points in thirty one games throughout the regular season, seven in eighteen playoff games. So his production did tick up in uh, on a per game basis in the playoffs. And then also he was playing pretty significant minutes, more middle six minutes for 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 Turku. And so that's where you know I I see a lot of 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 real. Um, uh, or TPS rather, you know, real outstanding uh, um, potential there from him is that his season has continued to progress. And and as I mentioned with with Shane Wright, the talent is there, the the you know the belief is there. But the concern at this point is how much better is he going to get? The progression has not been there from his rookie season at 15 years old to his current season at 17 years old. Obviously, there's a gap year in between. However, if that was a valid enough excuse, then why are guys like Ryan Winterton and and um, and and Wyatt Johnston having such exceptional years when they didn't play anywhere last year um, and took a humongous step in terms of their production? Now they're older. That definitely is a factor. They probably had you know a little bit more of a track record, but at the same time, you should see progression in top prospects and. Shane Wright had a great year, but if you're looking at ceiling, if you're looking at potential, and there's a lot of risk when you're projecting that out, but if you're looking at those options, if that's what you if that's what you value, if ceiling is what you want, then I think there's a case for Slavkovsky. I think there's a case for Logan Cooley. There's a case for Simon Nemich. There's a case for other players as well to be above Shane Wright in terms of that overall upside do i think he's going to be a very good nhl player yes i do do i think he's a play for a long time in the league yes i do do i think he'll be the best player to come out of this draft i'm not convinced and so that's why when we're talking about these top two picks it's not as cut and dried as as most would have you believe do i think that montreal is most like i i think the canadians almost have to go in the safest direction possible but that 
I, I'm not 100%. You know, I have no idea how Kent Hughes is going to operate as a general manager when it comes to the draft. I have a fairly, you know, I feel like I have a good idea. Marty LaPointe has been their 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 main point on amateur. Um, he's a holdover from the last group, but I think that he is, you know, taking on a different leadership role here. Jeff Gorton obviously is going to have a say in this. I think Marty St. Louis will be involved in the process. And so how you want to play as well has to come into factor. So I know this was kind of a scattered look at the top two, um, but that just goes to show you how unconvinced I am that we have a true consensus at number one and that the Montreal Canadiens would be best served picking Shane Wright. The thing that makes it even more complicated is the pressure within the market, the fact that you're hosting the draft, the fact that this is a number one overall pick. And whenever you you tag someone with number one, it comes with a lot of pressure. And I think if you're not patient with Shane Wright, and if you don't calibrate your expectations accordingly, you could wind up disappointed because I don't think he has the traditional pop of some of these more recent first overall picks. I mean, I felt more confident about Alexi Lafreniere. Um, I probably felt comparable to Owen Power in terms of, you know, there was there was certainly doubt in my mind last year that he was number one. Um, in the end, I, I, I you know, I, I felt comfortable putting him there. But you look at this last season and you say, I can make a case for Matty Beneers. I can make a case for Luke Hughes. And those guys were on his own team. Um, so it's kind of crazy how it all works out. But development is a funny thing. And it'll be on the, the Habs to whoever they pick first overall and all of that pressure that comes with it, how they help that player manage it. Because it is a tough market. It is a, it is a market with great expectations. And it's certainly a market that um, wants to see things go in a, in a, in a different direction very quickly. Uh, after the season that they just had. So there's a lot of complicating factors. So that brings me to my next point. One of the reasons that I think a lot of NHL scouts um, that I talked to in Germany, I talked to one scout whose team had a chance in the lottery. And I, and I asked him, how would you feel if you lost it? And he said, good. Like, I, I don't want to win the lottery this year. That was interesting to me. Now, you should always want to have the best pick, right? But at the same time, especially with the lottery rules being what they are now, when you win the lottery, now all of a sudden the clock starts um, on when you can pick for, you know, you, you only get so many times that you can win the lottery in a five-year span. And so you look ahead, there's so much uncertainty about 2023. You can say that Connor Bedard is a better prospect than Shane Wright, and I would probably agree with you. But we don't know what the next year is going to hold for Connor Bedard. We don't know what the next year is going to hold for Matt Vaymichkov and Adam Fantilli and other players that could jump into that discussion. There's so much that has to happen in the next year. So, but but the reason that I think teams were most reluctant to win the lottery this year is that they, I, you know, I've talked to scouts, assistant GMs, different people that that have have you know been in this situation. And the public pressure to go with the consensus number one pick is 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 very strong, and because of that, it can impact that decision that you make. You may not make that unbiased decision. You may make the decision that you know, is, you know, especially since the general manager is the one who becomes the face of that pick. 
Um, it's his job on the line. With The draft is so often tied to that. So you've got so many different things that you have to consider when you're when you're drafting that number one player. And, and also part of it is fan expectation. And if you go in a different direction and that consensus player does turn out to be the best player, it's it's a pretty tough thing to come back from with your fan base. So they've talked, you know, that they're every scout wants to be as unbiased as possible. Every scout wants to make the right decision. Every general manager wants to do that the same way. But when you are picking first overall, and you if let's say, let's just hypothetically say Montreal had a different player at number one. So let's say they had Logan Cooley at one, which some teams do. Um, let's say they have him at number one, and I can't tell you definitively who they have at number one. I don't know. So, But let's say that, and they pick that player over Shane Wright, and there's been all this buildup and all this attention. And even though Shane Wright doesn't have the consensus as strongly as he did before, he's still the most common player. You'll see number one on lists that are public or, you know, he was the number one prospect for NHL Central Scouting in North America. Um, you know, he's still number one on the, the McKenzie scout poll, but he's had six of nine votes as opposed to nine of 10 the last time around. You know, so so that's, that's where you say, oh man, you know, that's the guy that the fans expect us to pick. And can we go away from that? It takes a very brave general manager to do that. Um, and so, and so I think that's why a lot of teams felt like really strongly, like if we don't get that number one pick takes the pressure off of the player for one and two, we might get the guy we actually wanted anyway. Um, and, and that's obviously only true of teams that are in the upper tier of the draft. But I think, you know, that, that this has been the most fascinating. I think in every other year, teams desperately wanted to win the first overall pick, you know, getting Lafreniere was a huge priority, getting Owen power. Um, getting Jack Hughes. Obviously, the two biggest ones were Matthews and McDavid. Those were the ones where it was just like, you you know, you had you had general managers with rosary beads. You had lucky charms. You had certain pairs of socks. I mean, you had all of that. And this year, I felt like there was none of that. It was like, if we get the first pick, great. If we don't, great. <laughs> so so that's that's not exactly you know a, a huge uh compliment to the draft class but at the same time you know that's just the way it goes so all right i've been all over the place on this one um but as i'll i'll point to you know you can get my thoughts on the other picks in terms of uh mock draft situation that'll be on dailyfaceoff.com and i'll have a lot more commentary here because i posted on twitter that i was looking for questions from fans and uh, and I will say that there is um, there there's there's a lot of great questions here, and they cover a lot of bases. And I will try to keep it very specific to the NHL draft and the NHL draft lottery. However, there are some questions afterwards that we'll talk a little bit about the World Championship and some other things. Um, but this will allow me to kind of get a little bit more direction. In terms of where this podcast is going to go, we've got some great questions that I think will have wide interest. It's not just about lottery teams in the end. Um, there are other teams as well. Kind of wondering what happens after the lottery range is over, that top 16 and, and what happens there. So let's get to it. Your questions 
Looking forward to answering. Got a lot of great ones, and we will cover a lot of ground here over the next 30 to 40 minutes. And if I'm being honest, probably 40 to 50 because uh, I can talk a little bit. All right, so let's get to it. Our first one comes from Bill Armstrong's Burner. Will the Coyotes ever pick first or second? Do you see Logan Cooley falling past the Devils? If not, who do you think the Yotes take? So I'm assuming uh, we. this is the second straight week that we got a question from Bill Armstrong's Burner. I am still not convinced that it is actually Bill Armstrong's Burner um, because I think Bill would know uh, who the Coyotes would take at three here. Um, and so to answer your first question, uh, Mr. Armstrong's Burner, the Coyotes probably will at some point pick first or second. I mean, they, they've got to at some point. They've had some of the worst lottery luck. My pal Craig Morgan over at uh, PHNX um, had uh, uh, some great uh, commentary on the, the, the horrible luck that the, that the Coyotes have had. And certainly, you know, the last time they picked number three, they picked Dylan Strome. Um, what happens if you pick Mitch Marner? What happens if you pick, you know, a number of other players. Uh, Dylan Strom didn't quite work out there, and it's been unfortunate, you know, for for them. But um, there has been, you know, they've they've managed all right um, without uh, without them. But still, it's it's certainly one of those things that stings. But uh, to get to the second part, do do you see Cooley falling past the Devils? And and I'll say that I do. Um, I think that the most likely, you know, there's a real good chance that um, that. Montreal is taking Shane Wright, and then I would say there's an even better chance that New Jersey would take Slavkovsky at number two. They don't necessarily need a center. Um, they, they, you know, I think that to me, Cooley is the most dynamic player in this entire draft. He's the guy that I still have consideration as being the number one prospect in this draft. Um, I think he has uh, one of the highest ceilings of any player just because of the speed and skill that he plays with. Um, the fact that he's also incredibly competitive and, um, you know, he's, he's just, he's, he's a real exceptional player. Um, not that Shane Wright isn't and, and Slavkovsky isn't, but to me, I think there are more special elements with Logan Cooley. The issue with the, the Devils, I think having the Devils land in that number two spot has been, is hugely beneficial to the Blackhawks or to the, sorry, to the Coyotes because he has, um, uh, it, it's especially valuable because now you got, they don't need a center. You know, they don't need a guy down the middle. They don't necessarily need a top defenseman. So now if you're the Coyotes, you got your pick of the best defenseman in the draft or the best remaining forward in the draft. Pretty darn good. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty solid. Um, so I think that, you know, that's a guy that, that could very well change the fortunes of the Coyotes. Um, you know, you also look at the, the, the horrific injury to Clayton Keller um, at the end of the season, and you hope he comes back strong. But, you know, I think that Cooley is the kind of guy that can fill that void. Um, then you also think about the fact that there's Dylan Gunther in the system already. You've got two dynamic scoring players. Um, Gunther had a phenomenal season in, in the WHL this year. He was he, he's one of the elite players in the junior ranks this season. And... So, so I think that Cooley absolutely could be there. And I think if it were me, that would be the pick. I don't necessarily know if that would be the pick for the Coyotes. They've, they have absolutely invested in scouting in a way that, that I don't think they have in a, in a long time. Um, and, 
you know, so I, that's where I feel pretty, you know, pretty comfortable, um, you know, with them because they have made significant hires. You know, they have two former scouting directors in Daryl Plandowski and Ryan Jankowski, um, and then Bill Armstrong made his career on the NHL draft um, and and had some exceptional picks over the years while with the St. Louis Blues. So they have the scouting acumen. They have they their their scouts are everywhere. They are they are in um, a lot of rinks, and they are they are definitely focused on the draft element. Um, so I will be fascinated to see who they pick there because I think this is the first draft where they're really going to get um, well last year too, but I think this year in particular um, where they've got their whole system in place, they kind of know where they're at. They 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 have this opportunity in front of them to. Um, you know, to pick a, a really strong player, a guy that will be an impact prospect in their system. Um, and if it's not Cooley, you know, we could see it as Nemec or, or Juracek, a top defenseman, you know, that that certainly would help fill a need as well. Um, the Coyotes have a lot of needs at this point. There's still a lot of work to be done on the roster. Uh, but that's, you know, if you can get a Logan Cooley or somebody like that, you got a real good opportunity to, to set yourself up for, for a solid long term. All right, our next question comes from Kirk, and he says, heard from a little birdie that Shane Wright wouldn't be too thrilled about playing in Montreal. Any reasons why this is the case? Well, Kirk, I haven't personally heard that, um, you know, so I don't know how uh, how accurate um, your little birdie is. But, I mean, I think that there is certainly, um, you know, I, I think Shane Wright has said over the course of the season at various points that he would be, would like to play in, in Montreal, especially when things were looking really bad for them. And, um, you know, I think that the thing about Shane Wright that is really important is I think he's got a very good emotional maturity. Um, that's part of the reason why he was allowed to get an exceptional status in the OHL. Um, he's had a spotlight on him for, you know, for three years essentially. And I think that, you know, of, of the players that you would pick in the first overall, I think that he has, he's probably the best equipped to handle, you know, the pressure that comes with it, but it is a lot of pressure. Um, and especially in a market as hockey mad as Montreal. And, you know, I, I think, you know, is, is Montreal winning the draft lottery or, you know, keeping their first overall pick is, is, is obviously really good for business because Habs fans are, are, are as passionate and, and as, as all consuming as, as, uh, as so many fans. I mean, it seems like they will, you know, it's good. It's good for the media business is what I'm trying to say is because, uh, Habs fans seem to to love talking Habs, and we love them for it because there's a lot of uh, a lot of great uh, um, you know conversations that can happen. But it also creates a, a a huge dynamic of of pressure, exposure, and things that are not normal for for every market. Um, you know, you, you think about a few years ago, Alexi Lafreniere, and what would have happened if he landed in 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 Montreal, and the hopes that would have been placed on him and what what would have happened if he had the first two seasons like he did in Montreal? Um, it's hard enough in a market like New York, but I think it would have been thirty fold worse um, in Montreal if if this was kind of what they were getting out of the first overall pick. So that's the thing where it's it, it, you know you get a little bit concerned about the player and and just the importance that we put on number one overall draft picks and not always understanding that development is in a straight line and that there are going to be some players that are going to need more time. You know, do I think that Shane Wright is, is the best equipped to, to handle it though? I do. Um, and it, it's a difficult thing, 
but I think he'll he'll seize that and I think he'll really thrive in that environment as long as you know the coyotes or sorry the, the Canadians um, protect him from that so I think that's uh, that'll be interesting. All right, ODA asks, do you think a consensus number two emerges like it seems to every year? Or is this a year different? Many players with even with an even shot to be selected at number two. I don't think there's a consensus number two. I don't think, you know, the I think you could talk to a lot of different people and then you'd get a bunch that would say Slavkovsky. You'd get a bunch that would say Cooley. You'd get some that might say Kamal, Joachim Kamal. You might get some that would say... Um, you know, Simon Nemich, David Juracek. I mean, I think that there is a lot of different things. So I would say that there isn't a number two pick. I will say that if Uri Slavkovsky has a big world championship, as I mentioned before, that would probably help solidify him as number two, um, especially given the fact that the the Devils, you know, we've already talked about it, don't really have a need at center, um, but they could certainly use a big power forward, um, as so many teams can. So that'll be, that's, I, I don't think there's a consensus, but I think that he has the best chance to push himself in that direction, especially since he's playing in the world championship. Would have been interesting if Logan Cooley was playing the world championship. I'd heard that there was possibly an opportunity that he could play for Team USA. Um, and and that's worked well for guys like Quinn Hughes and Jack Hughes uh, over the years, Austin Matthews. Um, but, uh, but not as much, uh, you know, Cooley's not, not, not with that team. So, uh, but that could have been really interesting to, to create, you know, an even, uh, more competitive dynamic because those two guys haven't had too many opportunities. They didn't play against each other at the world juniors, but, uh, that's, that's the way it goes. All right. We got two Philadelphia Flyers questions. The Flyers will be picking fifth overall. Nabil asks options for Philly at five, really hoping for Juracek. Thanks for your weekly podcast. Thank you. And MS, should the Flyers just take whoever falls to them at five? Um, and yes, they should. But I mean, really, who, you know, we're, we're, we have to go based on, you know, we always talk about best player available and it is so, you know, who's, who is the best player available? There's no consistency in that regard. Like nobody, no team has the same top five guys. So I would say, yes, like you take the best player available and it could be a David Juracek. I think that he'd absolutely have an opportunity to be there. There is a large contingent of scouts that feel that Cutter Goche from Team USA has really risen into that top five conversation, top three conversation even. Um, that's a guy that is is kind of come on strong. He had a pretty good world under 18s um, and and does a lot of things extremely well. His ability to corral pucks, to shoot pucks, um, you know, the, the, the fact that he has good skill and, and good competitiveness and plays hard. You know, that's what a lot of teams value. I could absolutely see Philly looking at a big forward like him that can score and saying, hey, that we need more of that on our roster. Um, and I, I think it'd be completely justified just because he is a, a high-end goal scorer with a lot of pro traits and a hugely – his progression this season has really opened a lot of eyes to the possibilities of what he can be as a player. And then you put him in that size and, and physicality package that he has – and a lot of teams like that. So those are some guys. I think Juracek is absolutely a possibility, a big right shot defenseman, a guy that can really score from the point. He's got a bomb of a shot, but also great mobility. I think he defends adequately, um, you know, played at top, top level minutes in, in pro this year, and will be playing for Checky at the world championship. That's another guy. If he has a big worlds, you know, if he plays a, you know, plays his way up the lineup, similar to how Owen power did last year for Canada, 
I mean, all of a sudden you're starting to, hey, maybe he is number three. Maybe he is number four. You know, so that's a guy that could be there. Uh, Nemich could be there. Joachim Kamel, absolutely. So there's a lot of great options. I think the Flyers are in a fantastic position at five. You know, you say who who's going to fall to them there. It could be any player. It's just a matter of who they like in that range. And, and I think that that would be uh, pretty, pretty special um, for them. I think they're going to get a really good player um, no matter what. All right, F has two questions. First off is there has been plenty of discussion around Juracek and Nemich. Who do you think will go first? Who would you pick? And number two is Connor Geeky seems to have split the rankings. I'd be curious to hear your take on him. Well, F, thank you for the questions. Uh, Both good ones. And as of right now, I haven't finalized my draft rankings, and I won't do it until after the World Championships and after we get some more playoff series done in the Canadian Hockey League. Um, My hope is to have something closer to the combine. after the. It'll be after the combine, but not long after the combine. Um, that you know, I'd like to have my draft rankings complete. As of right now, I would tell you that my lean is towards Nemec. I think that his postseason play in Slovakia was exceptional. Um, he did not play much at the Olympics, unlike Slavkovsky. He he was you know not utilized. I think it's a lot tougher for a, a defenseman to make an impact at that level at his age and at his size. And you know he's he's six foot one. He's still you know, kind of lanky. He's got to get stronger. But he is an exceptional puck mover. And he had 17 points in 19 playoff games at, at, at his young age. I mean, he's he's one of the best productive under-18 players in Slovakian league history. You know, the guys that have produced more are Marian Hosa and Marian Gabrik. Like, that's that's the kind of players that we're talking about that, you know, he's there, there's really no precedent for what Nemec is doing right now. And, and I think that he is... Um, a very heady player. I think the upside is there. I think he could be a number one if he, if a lot of things go right. I'm just not convinced that either him or Juracek are going to be, that they have the complete package to be a number one defenseman. I do think they could be top pairing, top four, but I don't know if they, you know, and so the other thing with Juracek is he missed half the season. We don't have as much detail. We haven't been able to see his progression I think the world championship is going to be important for both of these players. You hope that Nemex get gets to play a little bit more than he did at the Olympics. You hope that Juracek finds his way into a more substantial role and you get a chance to see them and see where they're at relative to where they were, you know, at the World Juniors when they were both playing at, a, at an exceptional level there. As for Connor Geeky, very very polarizing prospect because he has every tool that you could want in Hockey sense, physicality, competitiveness, um, you know, it, puck skills. He's he's good enough there. Uh, defensive sense. I mean, he does everything well. He doesn't skate very well, and it is a big problem. And it's a big problem for a lot of scouts. And I think it is a potential problem for him being in the top fifteen. The thing that I keep coming back to is every time I watch Connor Geeky play, he is always around the puck. The puck finds him in ways that it doesn't do for other players, and that is suggesting to me that he has tremendous anticipation. He processes the game at a very high rate. He makes good decisions with the puck. He's always involved in everything, and he didn't have the production of of his teammate, you know, uh, uh, Matthew Savoy. He didn't have the 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 you know that he doesn't have that dynamic element that so many of the players in the top level this go, but. I still think that his hockey sense is at such a level that you have to respect it and you have to understand that maybe that skating is 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 going to hold him back 
you you know, and I think if you can talk to, you know, every team is going to engage their skating coaches and their development coaches and everything. Can we fix this? Can we make it better? Is there potential? Is there something we can do with his, you know, his mobility? Is there something we could do with, you know, making sure that he's got the right physio, you know, the physiological stuff? Like, is is his diet right? Is his, you know, are we putting him on the right weight training program? Can we get him to be a better skater? Um, and I think in the modern NHL, you have to be able to skate, but there have been plenty of guys that I've, I've dismissed for lack of skating ability that found a way. I think Geeky's going to slide down lists this year. I do. I think he's going to, he's going to potentially fall outside of the top 15, but there was a time this year during this season that there were teams that said he could be a top five pick. He could be a top 10 pick and, and he may, there could be a team out there. I mean, Ottawa's picking at seventh. They've loved the big guys lately. He's a big center, does a lot of things well outside of skating. Maybe that's the guy, you know, maybe he could slide in there. I just think there's going to be potentially better options available to them in that range. So um, it's going to be outstanding to see. I think he's going to be one of the most fascinating players because there is a wide variance of opinion. But I believe he can do everything outside of skating at at a at, a, at an exception uh, an acceptable level. Um, can you live with it? Can is it too much of a hindrance? That's what teams are going to have to decide over these next few weeks. It's something that you know will probably be talked about a lot at the combine with him. It'll be talked about with strength and conditioning coaches, skating coaches. There is going to be a lot of due diligence done on that particular player, and if that one fatal flaw in his game um, is enough to take him you know, further down the draft board. This next one comes from Chris and he says, Hey Chris, love the episode on the U18s. Who should I be excited about the Sabres realistically getting at ninth overall odds on Savoy making it that far. Thank you for all your awesome work. And also just want to include Ryan here because Ryan also asked a question about the Sabres. And he said, since exactly 12.5% of the podcast will be about the Buffalo Sabres, any thoughts on drafting Russian players at 9 or 16 given current world affairs? They took four last year, including two in the second round and one in the third. So there is a recent precedent. Two very good questions. Uh, To answer Chris's question first, I think there is a possibility that Matthew Savoy does slip as far as nine. He's not a big guy. He's very competitive. He's highly skilled. He put up a lot of points this year in the WHL. There is a lot of various opinions in terms of can he play the way that he plays at his size effectively at the NHL level? Is he a good enough skater to make up for some of the things that he's one of the smaller forwards available in this draft? But if you look at the, you know, the, over the last couple of seasons, he's done really well. Um, is he well-rounded enough is is you know i think the fact that he plays such a competitive brand of hockey and that he's he does not shy away from the physicality and he has no fear those are all important things but then you put that with the with the skill level that he has then absolutely i could see him going in the top eight but i could very easily see him going in the top nine um i could see him slipping outside of the top 10 um he is a guy that has a wide range of opinions on him similar to Connor Geeky because he does have a lot of the traits but then you say okay but he's 5 foot 9 and and that does still matter i'm sorry that that it does but it does still matter to teams and especially since you know you don't want to have too much of one thing i think the sabers are in particularly in position where they can continue to compile high end skill um you know so i think a guy like Savoy will be there I think Frank Nazar will be there for them. I think, you know, you look at, do we want to get another defenseman? Um, 
they've got enough on the left shot side. You know, they got guys that that, that will play in their top four for years to come. Um, but they at least would have that option. So that's the thing where you say, okay, well, maybe maybe it could work. Now, to get to Ryan's question, Russian players are going to be interesting. I think there's one player that will go in the top 16. I think it's Dadili Yurov. Um, and he and I, it's not a lock that he'll go in the top 16. And I do think teams will be reluctant. Some teams will, will probably not draft a Russian this year at all. Other, and, and not list Russians on their board. The Sabers, however, having you know gotten guys like Kursanov last year, um, you know players that 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 have some some real exciting ability, they didn't worry about the pass what the passport said. The issue right now is I, I don't think teams are going to be scared of the geopolitical uh, element. There's definitely some teams that that do have concerns about the public relations element of that, but at the same time. You know how many people are going to blame a 17-year-old hockey player for what's going on in his country? Um, you know that's that's kind of where it goes. And if you have an opportunity to get Yurov, who at points this year was a top five projected pick, um, and then just absolutely had his development squandered by Magnitogorsk this year, um, playing barely barely playing him in the pros. He was too good for the U20 team, not good enough to get more than a shift a game for for the KHL team and that that is the biggest concern that I have about Yurov is you know he he's under contract for one more season you know what is what is that going to look like if you draft him in the first round and then all of a sudden his team doesn't see the value in developing that player for the NHL and and he starts sitting as much as as he did this year it's not very conducive to him progressing as a player but he has tremendous physical abilities he's an incredibly smart hockey player I love the game that he plays. I think there's power, there's there's precision, there's a lot there. So I view him as a potential value get in that range, in that nine range. And if he falls even further and he's still there at 16, I don't think you hesitate. Um, the real question is going to be what happens with Ivan Marashnyshenko. To me, I had Marashnyshenko ahead of Yurov. Um, I think upside and things like that, I, I think the physical tools and his skill level... Um, could push him forward in that regard. Um, he's also younger, um, you know, be, and, and, you know, at least how it's listed. And he, the thing about Marashashenko is, as you, as you probably know, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma this year. Um, my friend Corey Promen reported on The Athletic that that his agent, Mark Gandler, says that the, the cancer is in remission. Uh, I saw Ivan at the Under-18 Worlds. I didn't speak with him, but I saw him at the Under-18 World Championship. He was there to watch some of the games, and he met with some teams. So Team Russia wasn't there, but Marashashenko was there. He is getting treated in Germany for, for the cancer diagnosis. Um, and he met with teams, and things went well, it sounds like. Um, that you know there is a, a comfort level with uh, his ability to recover from the illness that he will be able to resume play next year, that he will be able to get back on track developmentally. Um, and he's such an exceptional player. Now, do I think he'll go in the top 16? No, I don't. Um, I don't necessarily know if he'll go in the first round, but he will go in this draft. Um, and I think the team that gets him will, will be very happy with, you know, basically taking advantage of a market that, you know, 
I wouldn't call him having cancer an inefficiency in the market. It's more just, you know, you have to weigh risk and there's enough risk there that you would consider maybe not um, uh, drafting him. But I do think that there is a lot, there's a lot more momentum building for him to get picked and potentially picked in the first round. Um, so that'll be interesting. But I, I think overall, you know, it's going to matter for some of the other Russian players. I think you'll see a very few in the second and third rounds. You probably will start seeing them go fourth, fifth, sixth. Um, you know, guys that would have potentially gone in the second round this year. Um, you know, I think there's 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 a there's a number. There could, you know, I think uh, Paravalov could be the the other Russian that goes in the first round potentially, um, but not cer- certainly not uh, you know certain. All right, the next question comes from Tristan. How would you tier this draft, specifically for the Canucks at 15th overall? Are they the start of or end of a tier? And depending on that, should they be considering trading down? So I haven't, again, I haven't done my full draft rankings, but I would say, you know, to me, there's a top three, a decisive top three for me. That would be Wright, Cooley, and Slavkovsky. Um, I think the next tier is a bit more jumbled, and it probably goes all the way down to 10. You have guys like, uh, actually, probably closer to like 15. Um, so yeah, so you're in that range because I think, you know, you look at guys like Kamel, Savoy, Juracek, Nemec, um, Mintukov, Korchinski, um, Frank Nazar, uh, potentially Cutter Goche. Like the that next group of players is pretty expansive and I think they're very tightly packed together. So I think if you're picking in the top 16 this year, you're feeling pretty good because you could get a Jonathan LeCaramacchi at, at that range. You could potentially get um, a, a guy that slips like a Savoy. You could get a Rutger McGrory. You could get, you know, there's so many options. Uh, Jimmy Snuggerud. I mean, there are so many names that I could throw at you about what what's there. And I think that in that range, like that really, I think that five, maybe, you know, all the way down. So they're, 15 is towards the end of that tier, but that's a good tier to be in. And so I think the Canucks could land an impact prospect at 15. Um, less certain about some of the, you know, you get a little bit later and you start running different things. And, you know, but but there are a lot of a lot of guys that I like in that 15 to 20 range as well that I might not necessarily put in that tier, like a Denton Matechuk and Nolan Pickering and, um, you know, Nathan Gaucher. I mean, there's a lot of different guys that uh that I would would be interested in in like that 15 20 25 range and you know we've talked a lot about how this draft is a little bit weaker um that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be that, that it's it's bad I, I mean I think that this we're probably closer to average and you know there's just a lot of players who say oh there's this fatal flaw or there's this one thing that I don't like and that brings me to our next questions, which is about probably the most confounding prospect of this draft class this year. And if you've been following the draft, you probably know who I'm already talking about because I didn't mention him in that tier, and he won't be in that tier for me. But here's what Beehawks0035 and Rackham want to know about Brad Lambert. Beehawks0035 says... I would love to hear your take on Brad Lambert. Reminds me a bit of Atu Ratu last year, a guy who was pegged as a potential first overall pick two seasons prior and then really fell off in his draft year. Thank you for all your hard work. And then this is a bit of a hypothetical from Rackham. If the World Juniors hadn't been canceled and Lambert continued on the track he was going on at the start, do you think people would be looking at him differently? All right, so 
to give you my personal take on Lambert, um, there are some things that we know for sure. He is one of the best skaters in this draft, bar none. He is incredibly dynamic skating ability. He has excellent skill level. There's creativity. What I think a lot of people are concerned about is, is there enough of a competitive element to him? Is, is he going to get you inside? Is he going to be able to get inside to make plays? He it, you know played for three teams in three seasons in the, in the, in the Liga. And, you know, I've, I've, I, I think the reason that he could still become a first round pick this year is because his tools are such that he's exceptional in that skating department, in that skill department. He's had the pedigree. He's played at a high level. He can be a center. He can be a wing. But he had four points in 25 games after moving from JYP to Lati Pelicans. He had no points in the playoffs. Um, you know, his his ice time was adequate in Lati and didn't matter, didn't produce, didn't, didn't, you know. And I think that there are teams that absolutely have Brad Lambert on their their no draft. They're not that he will not be on their list. Um, I spoke to some scouts that were based in Finland while I was in Germany. Um, a lot of those Finnish scouts were there. Obviously, you know, uh, Lambert was not. He's a late 2003, um, so wasn't in that tournament. It was a great opportunity for Joachim, Joachim Kamel to, to, to stand out and, and really seize that number one Finnish prospect for this year. Um, so, you know, the other thing that you also have to keep in mind is that you know, in 49 games this season, he had 10 points. Uri Slavkovsky had 10 points in 31 games this season, so better point-per-game rate, but still 10 points for both of those players in the Liga this year. Um, and the thing that I have great concern about with Brad Lambert is just, has he lost his way? Did he plateau? Is he, is he going to get it back? If you draft him, can you live with the frustration that is going to come with the way that he's played the last couple seasons? If that is the trend that continues, you know, here's a guy that you know, had 15 points in 46 games last season, and he went backwards this year. Um, and to get to Rackham's point about the World Juniors, he had five points, but Finland didn't play anybody, um, and you know those games were not overly competitive and and so he, it was easier for him to dominate so what if he continued on that trend throughout the world juniors would there be a different tune there would be but if he continued to play the way that he did throughout the rest of the league season as he did it would wash that away um and so that would be very difficult for um for them to 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 make that work so you know i think that Lambert is a fascinating prospect. And the reason, you know, I think if you're a team with multiple draft picks, you know, and, and Ratu is, is a really good example of a guy that, you know, had a terrible year and then really rebounded. He looks a lot better this year. And unfortunately had COVID derail some of his own opportunities to, to play in things like the world juniors and, and things like that. But, you know, there are still questions about him and, and, the other thing that I've also wondered about with Brad Lambert is, 
you know, how much of his ability in the, in the lower levels was tied to his immense skating and, and skill. And did he not continue to develop the hockey sense at a level that would allow him to process the game and make plays at the professional level? Um, you know, the Le- Liga is a tough league to play in, you know, so, and, and he's still a teenager playing in a men's league. Um, but I feel pretty strong, like there is a good chance when I do my draft rankings, again, it hasn't happened, but there is a good chance based on the, 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 the way things have trended for me that I will not have him in the first round. Um, as I mentioned, I talked to the scouts in Finland and uh, the, the Finnish scouts in Germany and a number of them said they would draft him maybe in the second or third round. Some said they wouldn't touch him. Um, and I think that you have to, that doesn't impact my, the way that I rank him because I think that the ability is there. Um, and just because another team doesn't think that he should be drafted doesn't mean I don't think he should be drafted. I think he should be drafted. I think he's got a chance. Um, but I think you have to draft him with eyes wide open that you are getting a, a project at this point, not a, a finished product. All right, now excited to get a Seattle Kraken question. This one comes from Kenneth, and he asks, at number four, do you realistically see the Kraken taking a D-man? And if so, do either Nemec or Juracek look like potential number ones? So we've we've kind of addressed that a little bit already, but just specific to the Kraken, talking about Matty Beniers is that that guy who can be their number one center. He had a great debut um, at the end of the season with Seattle. Very excited to see what he does next season. But I think with, um, with this with this guy, you know, with this in particular, these two defensemen, I think it's, I think there's a chance they could be number ones. I'm not 100% sold that they would be number ones. I do think that they are no doubt top four guys, guys that can make plays, that can give you offense from the back end, that can make a lot of things happen from back there. And I think that they have a real good opportunity to, uh, to make a, a sizable impact. Um, you know, I don't think, I don't feel as comfortable about them as, as say, Owen Power or Luke Hughes last year. Um, but I do think that they are within very well within the, that range of that being able to take the number four pick, uh, a defenseman. And I think either of those two guys would make a significant impact. I've mentioned before, I think Nemich might have a little bit more of the edge at this point. Um, but that remains to be seen. So I do think the Kraken have an opportunity to, to really shore up their blue line, which is an area that, you know, they, they have uh, uh, Riker Evans coming up in their prospect system. They're very high on him. Um, and, uh, but I think either of these two guys would, you know, really the ceiling is, is so much higher for both of them. Um, so I think that, that would be a good spot for the Kraken to, to certainly look at adding defense. And I think historically, if you look at the way that Ron Francis teams have been built, um, you know, they, they, they definitely like to, to have those D and centers uh, pretty front front and center. Um, so I think getting a defenseman would be a priority here. My good pal Sean Leahy from NBC Sports asks, are there any upcoming draft classes where there is no clear number one? Feels like it's been forever since we had some drama regarding who would be the top pick. I'll tell you what, I still think this year has the potential to create some drama, especially if Slavkovsky has a big world world championship. Um, you know, and, and maybe Shane Wright can have a, a, a significant impact on Kingston's playoff run here and then make that, you know, change, really change things for them. Um, 
So that's that's going to be interesting to see. So I think this year is probably the least likely. I think next year, Connor Bedard is is the odds-on favorite. I think you know, in, in, in if there were normal circumstances, if you're if if Matvey Mitchkov was not under contract uh, for a long period of time, if he was not Russian, uh, given the current state of affairs, um, he would absolutely challenge. I think that Matvey Mitchkov is is an offensive genius. Um, I do think. Connor Bedard is is a, is is pretty genius level as well, but you know his his shooting ability. Both of them have just. I mean, you're you're talking about two guys that I think could be generational goal scorers. Um, that's that's how good I think both of them are. And then you know you've got like a guy like Adam Fantilli, who's much bigger than both of those players and has speed and has tenacity and can score and can make plays and. You know, I think a lot of teams are going to be real excited about him. So next year's draft is certainly exciting at the very, very top. But you know, far too early to say, oh, well, it's way better than this year's draft. We, you know, the the drafts don't tend to be a ton different. You have years like the Connor McDavid year. I think the Jack Hughes year was pretty darn good too. Um, you know, in terms of top to bottom first rounds, but you know, we'll we'll see. But yeah, I think it's tough to say, Sean, because I mean, outside of that, you've got you know. The following year, the 2024, it's really too early to know. Um, there isn't a guy in that class, at least at this point, where you say it's the Connor Bedard draft, like we say in 2023, or this year coming into this year saying this was the Shane Wright draft, or you know the Alexi Lafreniere draft. This is not, you know. So I, I think, you know, I also want to jump off on this point too. And I wasn't going to, it just, just kind of dawned on me that this is something we should talk about. But let's talk about it. Every year we have the consensus number one pick, right? But how often? I mean, I think the last time we had one where it was at least a debate was the Nico Heischer draft, which I've used in comparison to this draft in terms of the lack of excitement about the draft lottery. But how many times does the number one pick end up being the best player in the draft class? It happens a lot, but it you know you look at even like we can still debate the John Tavares Victor Hedman debate right now. We could still have that conversation. Um, you know, you could look back and say, you know, the the I think it was the Ryan Nugent Hopkins year. Um, I mean, we could say Johnny Goudreau is the best player from that draft class. You know, like I, I mean, that's I think that I think that's the right year. Um, <laughs> I, I should know this. I'm a, I'm a draft expert allegedly. Um, but, but yeah, but I mean, you know, that the thing is, is that we get wrapped up in these consensus top guys, you know, right now you look at Alexi Lafreniere, is he the best player from his draft class right now? He very well could be long-term, but he hasn't been so far. You know, I think you could say Lucas Raymond has been better. Um, you could, you know, look at some of these other ones too, and just, you know, obviously top, top guys, you know, Jack Hughes had a tough rookie season. He had an explosive second season. Um, you know, so you just never really know. But I think so often we get so focused on these number one picks and, you know, you sometimes lose. And there are absolutely guys that are developmental freaks that just pop in ways that no one saw coming, um, you know, or they they overcame whatever doubts people had about them because of size or skating or other things, uh, personal situation, all different types of things. But it's so hard for the first overall pick to be the best player in a draft when you're competing with 
200 plus other players. So, you know, if you say, well, it's the number one versus the field, the odds suggest you should take the field. But so often, I think NHL scouting has gotten to such a degree where where they have they, they don't miss that much. They might miss on guys, like, you know, they're going to find NHL players. They might not find the best player, but they don't miss a ton where they've, they've, they've really lost it at that number one overall pick. So you always want to have that pick, but at the end of the day, you still can find impact prospects in other spots in the draft. All right, Coyote Steve asks, what is the most unique skill set the teams are looking for in the draft and which players fit the mold at the top of the draft class? Is it top-end potential of a hard-hitting right defenseman or a strong-skilled center? The unicorns that teams will prioritize. I think absolutely when you're valuing positions, I think you know you try to find those places, You know what are people always looking for? Right shot defenseman, obviously. If you have a big athletic great skating right shot defenseman that also has offensive capabilities you know if all all around player you love that um and, and you you try to you try to pick that and i think that's a big reason that nemich and juracek are so high on this list because i think there are a lot of forwards that i would probably take ahead of them in terms of overall potential and impact but because of that right shot element um and because of how well they played this year and the fact they've both done well at professional levels that is really intriguing to me. So fascinated by what they're going to do there. And, uh, um, you know, but that's another thing. I think, you know, teams right now are definitely prioritizing skating ability, um, but it's always about hockey sense. You know, the players, who are the smart players? Who are the guys that are absolutely going to um, uh, make it, uh, you know, make it as, as a player that, you know, just, plays the game fast, thinks the game at a high level, is so, you know, quick and, you know, you try to go where the game is going. And so um, that speed element has become all the more important. And that's why I have such a high regard for Logan Cooley in this draft. He's not the biggest guy, but he is one of the fastest. He's one of the most competitive and, and certainly the his ability to process the game at the speed in which he's able to play is really a rare a rare thing um you know Connor mcdavid is a unicorn in that he skates as fast as he does but his brain operates at the same speed it's impossible that is there are so many players whose whose feet are well ahead of their brain um i think you know in mcdavid's or guys like mcdavid that's not the case now, i don't think that's the case with logan cool either i think he processes the game at an incredibly high rate not at mcdavid level but certainly at a high rate so I think that processing ability is one of those things where it's really difficult to teach. Um, and it's really, diff- you know, a player has to kind of develop that over the course of their entire hockey playing life. Um, and there's, you know, it, it's hard to get it to a level. So I think that that's another, that, that processing speed of the game is always going to be the most important thing to me um, when I'm looking at a prospect. And I think that's true of a lot of teams as well. Um you know, the ability to think the game at a high level is is going to get you a lot farther than some of your physical tools will be able to. Now, when you have both that and the physical complement, well, now, now we're cooking with gas. So uh, I think that's kind of where we're at there. All right, this is uh, less about the draft lottery, but still about the draft. And it's a good one from Peter Harling. And he asks, it seems teams are more willing to select overage players these days. For teams like Arizona, Seattle, that have lots of picks and shallow systems, do you see them using second-round picks on overage players? And who are your top-ranked overage players 
great pod. Thank you, Peter. Um, so again, I'm still working through the the rankings, but you know, I think there are guys that will be available in the second and third rounds that will be you know second, third year eligible players um, that that are fascinating to me. Um, I don't think it this year's crop is as good. I, I thought last year there was quite a few more. Um, you know, guys that, you know, played college hockey, guys that were overagers in, in, in the OHL. I do think that we're going to see, uh, a number of OHL, um, you know, high-end guys that, you know, were, were passed over, um, that get an opportunity. I think some guys in the USHL, one guy I've been high on all years and overager is Connor Kurth from the Dubuque Fighting Saints. Very little buzz about him, but I think that that's a guy that you, you pick, you pick them late, and you let them go to college, and you let them develop, and then when he's ready to go, you bring him in. Um, and he's, you know, you've got a guy that's a little more polished. I think Dylan James, or sorry, uh, Dominic James at University of Minnesota Duluth, who made the World Junior Team this year, he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of attention potentially as a second, third, fourth round guy. You know, that's the thing. The range on overage players tends to be a lot longer because they don't have. You know the, the younger players, you feel like there's more runway, there's more upside, but you get more track record with those overage players. So, and I do think teams like Seattle could prioritize them, but I think they're also in a mode where they want to try to get as many play. And and I think this speaks to that. You know, they want to try to get as many players that will be ready sooner than later, so that they can fill out an AHL roster with guys that are are in their own system. Um, so that's another thing to to consider, but. You know, those are some of the guys that, that I really like. I mean, I think that there are others in, in you know, in the OHL as well. Um, you know, one guy that, that I've kind of had my eye on going back to the last draft. And um, I remember a, a friend of mine who, who tracks the, the OHL extremely closely um, was all about Tucker Robertson. Um, and Tucker Robertson has had a great year. Very well could slide into that third round range. I think he had 81 points in 68 games, including 41 goals. For Peterborough this year, you know, he was a guy that didn't get to play last season. He did play in um, that that summer showcase that was put on by OHL players to to get uh, to get players, and, and he was he was he performed very well there, uh, but not well enough to convince teams to take him. Um, so that's a guy that I think could absolutely um, find his way into those earlier rounds as as an overager. Um, you know, he's a June two thousand three birth year. Um, so you're not, you know, he's, he, he was relatively young for the class last year. Um, so that, that makes it a little bit more intriguing, but that's another name to keep an eye on as, as in terms of overagers for the draft. So very good question there. And then this, we're going to switch gears because we're away from the draft. Now we've, we've gone for about an hour. And again, I, I, I encourage you to go to dailyfaceoff.com. You'll be able to see my mock draft there as soon as it's up. Um, should be coming, if you're listening to this podcast on Wednesday, should be available on Wednesday. Actually, it is now just posted as I say that. So uh, that's what I've got for you. Um, <laughs> so you can go to dailyfaceoff.com. You can read my mock draft there. Number one, Shane Wright. We already talked about Uri Slavkovsky, Logan Cooley. But you can find out where I have all of your favorite team's players if you are a team that is in the lottery. And then we will certainly be having draft rankings, a lot more coming up there. To quickly switch gears for uh, just a moment, I want to talk about the World Championship. Um, I did mention there are some NHL draft-eligible players playing there, but I also want to talk a little bit about Team USA because I got a great question 
in my DMs about Team USA and the and and the culture around the men's world championship. So let's get to that question. And, and before I read Chris's question, I just wanted to mention. So Team USA has been named. The roster is there. There aren't a lot of established NHL star caliber players. Um, there have been more in, in, in recent years. Uh, there weren't as many last year, uh, but this year the, the most established NHL star is the captain, Seth Jones. Um, so certainly uh, a quality player there. You got Nate Schmidt as well on the roster among the others that you know, Alex Galchenyuk um, and uh, Austin Watson in terms of experienced NHL players. But there's a lot of prospects or guys that were tweeners kind of this year um some more ahl centric guys like uh, you know riley barber um so there's uh, not a ton of star power necessarily um they also went pretty young uh in terms of you know guys they invited luke hughes jordan harris nick blinkenberg all guys you know luke hughes is is, is a, a college player who will be in college next year blinkenberg and harris played college hockey last year signed played nhl games at the end of the season um, you know, they also up front, they're going to have Thomas Bordalo, uh, Sean Farrell. Uh, uh, so another Sean Farrell who will be in college next season as well. Ben Myers, the top college free agent signed by Colorado, not eligible to play in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So he is going to play for Team USA. A great thing for him to uh, prepare for his first NHL season next year and obviously uh, made an impact at the Olympics this year. So it was good to see that. And then also Strauss Mann, the goaltender from the Olympic team, and Alex Ndelkovich, the most established goalie on the roster. John Gillies also there. So those are the players that are going. But the question that Chris asks is, is one that I've pondered myself many times. It has certainly been um, an issue. It's something that USA Hockey had thought that, you know, had kind of been addressed for a few years. They got guys like Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit and, and guys like that to go to the playoffs or to go to the world championship when they miss the playoffs. But it has been, this year it was like pulling teeth. You know, I was I, I talked to a number of people um, in the process and, and, and at the, there was just, it was really slow. There were a lot of no's um, and, and that has been kind of a, a far too frequent thing. And so Chris asks a, a great question. Hey CP, would love your take on this. I have been blown away for 20 years how American players seem to care about the world's infinitely less than their peers from every other country. This hardly seems to ever get any player talk. Veteran Canadians and Euros regularly go to the Worlds. We're lucky if we get our better young guys on ELCs, but we regularly ice a team of bottom tier NHLers or AHLers. It blows my mind. Of course, these guys beat themselves up all year, and you never truly know what guys have going on. I wouldn't expect a guy like Brock Besser to go after seeing him talk about his dad the other day. Troy Terry mentioned on the pod that he was planning his wedding. Fine, but where's Trevor Zegers? Where's Quinn Hughes? Where's Cal Connor and 25 other guys, even Jack Eichel? I know he's coming off the surgery, but how many meaningful games has he played since college? Go win something. These guys rub elbows with Canadians and Euros that have passion for this tourney. Amazing no one ever rubs off. It never rubs off on Americans. It is a tough thing. You know, the, the world championship has not has not gone real well for the U.S. in terms of medal success. Um, historically, it just hasn't mattered enough to players. And the timing is a factor. These guys have gone through two very unique NHL seasons um, where the pandemic really you know, hampered things. It, it condensed the schedule. You know, there are players nursing injuries. Like, you know, Jack Hughes was completely set to go to this tournament. He gets hurt at the end of the year. 
now he's not going. I thought there might be a chance that Quinn would go, given the fact that Luke Hughes is on the roster, a chance to play with his youngest brother uh, for the first time. Uh, that didn't happen. Quinn Hughes has gone to this tournament multiple times before um, and, and certainly has, has, has made an impact there. But the U.S. has won one gold medal at the Men's World Championship, and that came in 1933. Four silvers, the most recent in 1950, and they've won bronze a little bit more frequently, 2013, 2015, 2018, and 2021, so last year. The World Championship doesn't it doesn't get the exposure in the U.S. It doesn't get the attention. But I do think that players should find it personally offensive that being one of the best hockey countries in the world, you can't even get your second-tier players to win a gold medal at this tournament. You haven't won gold since 1933. There was a time recently where... You know the 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 national team advisory group started trying to strategize ways to make this a bigger deal. One of the things that they thought of, and I thought this was a great thing. I, I, this might have been Brian Burke's idea. I'm not entirely sure, but it was essentially we're not going to ask you every year, but there are going to be years when we ask you that we think that you give us a chance to win, and you, we need you to help you win. And this will be something that we remember when it comes time to pick Olympic teams, when it comes time to pick the World Championship teams. If you want to be part of that process, you need to be part of this process. Hockey Canada has done that very effectively. They have made the World Championships matter to their players in ways that say, hey, if you want to be part of our program going forward, if you want to play in the Olympics and the World Championship, we need to see you at this level as well. We need to see your commitment to us, your commitment to playing for your country. The thing that I find most confounding about this is that, you know, the, the U.S. has the National Team Development Program. National Team Development Program. One of the teams that they're trying to develop is this national team for the World Championship. Now, you aren't going to get a parade thrown for you. You aren't going to have a ticker tape parade in, 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 in Times Square. You're not going to have the things like in Finland where it is a humongous deal if you win the World Championship. In Russia who is not involved in the world championship, but we've seen every single year those players get involved. It matters to that country. It matters to those players. Sweden, same thing. You know, I think the Swiss team is actually going to be a team to watch this year. They have one of the more star-studded rosters, um, you know, from this from this team, and, and, and Canada will certainly be a factor as well. But the U.S. continues to struggle to get players to go to this, and I think it really has to be something that's instilled in them at a younger age, that the, the, the importance of playing for your country. You know, you hear guys say it all the time, always an honor to play for your country, and there are guys that will never turn down that opportunity. There are a lot more that will, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of different excuses for why guys didn't go. And, uh, you know, Chris brought up a couple of really good ones. And, you know, it's like, if you have something going on in your personal life, that matters, go tend to that. This, you know, spending this tournament is also a super big ask in terms of time lost because you get to go spend several weeks in a foreign country, but it's also, you know, basically a three week, commitment almost a month it's a it's a long tournament and it can be a bit of a grind there's also the risk of injury all these players have their contracts insured you know so there's all those different factors that come into play but there has to be at some point an opportunity when usa hockey is able to gather 
you know, their their players and you know, their player pools and maybe it's the next time when there's a World Cup of hockey, I don't know. But it has to be made clear that this tournament and winning it should become a priority. It should become a source of pride because if the U.S. wants to continue to be considered a top hockey country, you should be able to win tournaments with your second-tier guys when you don't have everybody. You should be able to win this event. Um, the fact that Russia wasn't in this tournament this year really opened the door for a lot of different countries to say, hey, we got a really good chance because Russia is often going to go into this tournament favor because they're going to have a lot of the best players because almost nobody turns them down. And they also have a lot of guys from the KHL, but they're not in the, involved this year. So you have a real opportunity to win a gold medal. And that didn't resonate. Uh, you know, this, I, I also look at this tournament from a, from a development standpoint. And I see there, there are players that have been great players. They aren't going to be made by this tournament, but it offers tremendously valuable experience. You look at Andrew Manjupani last year, how well he played at that tournament. I think that was a springboard for him to have a career year this year, to be an elite goal scorer in the NHL, to to have done a lot of things. And he took over. He beat USA single-handedly last year in the semifinals. That that US team last year was as close as I ever thought they would, as close as it ever felt to a US team winning a gold medal. They were they they played great. And maybe this year they can do it. Maybe this year they can do it, but they don't have a lot of the established uh, skill players. They've got a lot of fourth line guys on this. Uh, you know, the forward group um, is 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 definitely concerning. Um, but I do like the fact that they have guys like Thomas Bordalo and Sean Farrell that play with speed and skill, and guys like Ben Myers who give you a little bit of that two way. You know, going with some of those younger, hungry guys that have something to prove. Um, but I do think that this is one of those things where there has been a complete gap in the level of importance that this tournament has been put on. Now, I know that a lot of people aren't going to watch it. They think, you know, the timing is terrible. It's during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Does it mean anything? But it is an it is an opportunity to put on your, your U.S. colors. It is an opportunity to win a, a, a double IHF medal. It's part of the triple gold club as well. Um, you know, and, and you know, we're so far away from an American ever having that opportunity to do a triple gold uh, situation because you got to win an Olympic gold medal, the Stanley Cup, and the, the World Championship gold medal. Um, but you look at some of the players that have done that and they're legit hall of famers in any hall of fame, you know? So, um, I think that I, I do think that there could be some younger players that are going to be able to, to bring this to the next level, but it is something that definitely for me personally, as a, as a fan of hockey, as somebody that's been around USA hockey as a, as a guy that's been around a lot of these players, um, you'd love to see more buy-in and I wish I had an explanation for why there isn't. Um, beyond the fact that it's you know the, the exposure, the time commitment, the the and the, the timing of the season uh, and ending, but you know we've seen some some really great players come to this tournament over the years and and have great great events and it's you know a highlight of their career um, uh, among the NHL accolades that they can pile up. I mean Patrick Kane is one of the best ever performances by an American in this tournament. Um, Seth Jones was uh, a director award winner when he was very young. You know, and I think that was a springboard for him, you know, the way that he played um, early on in his career at this tournament. So, you know, this is an opportunity for these guys to get better. It's an opportunity to play meaningful hockey at the end of a season when they've been bounced out of the playoffs when they would have expected to be playing anyway. Um, and I think if they can think about that, then maybe they have a chance to to, to really end this drought that goes back uh, 
Well, we're we're pushing up 90 years here, so it's it's been a while. Uh, it's it's uh, it's been a while. So, uh, would love to see that drought end someday. I don't, I don't know when, but any time would be great. Maybe this year, in a tremendous upset. We'll find out. That's it for this week's episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the content that we had for you today, talking about the NHL Draft Lottery. Once again, go check out the mock draft at, at uh, dailyfaceoff.com. Check out Substack, uh, Hockey Sense, the newsletter. I've got this newsletter, and I'll also have a humongous uh, amount of player reports from my travels to the World Under-18 Championship to give you a bit of a context on some of the top players there. So I hope that you will check that out and enjoy that as well. It's $6 a month, $54 a year to subscribe to that service, and you'll get a lot of NHL draft and prospect content in addition to weekly newsletters. So thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. Can't wait to be back next week where we talk NHL draft and so much more. I'm Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.